This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture reading this morning can be found in the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. One day, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Good morning, First Prize. If you do have your copy of God's Word, I would ask you to have it open there to the reading from Luke, Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. Just before we jump in, let's take a moment and ask the Lord to guide us. Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are a very blessed and thankful people. We're blessed, Lord, to know that we are loved and loved by you, the creator, sustainer, and yes, our redeemer. And so, Lord, we are thankful for the forgiveness of sins. We're thankful for the righteousness of Christ, which we stand in. We're thankful for the adoption we've been granted to be called the children of God that enables us to come boldly to the throne of grace. And we can come and we know that we are heard because we are your children. With all these blessings, and Lord, we're blessed to know on top of all that, that he who's begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. Lord, we recognize as we confessed our sins together that how easily we fall and miss the mark. And yet, Lord, we know that there is hope that we will finish strong, not because of ourselves, but because of you. So, Lord, there is so much to praise. There is so much to be thankful for. And, God, we get this opportunity to come together as the church. And, Lord, we get to sing your praises. We get to hear your word. God, encourage us this morning, no matter how we entered. Maybe some of us were rushed. Maybe some of us are dealing with uh, issues and concerns that are outside of this room. Lord, I pray that whatever is going on inside of us, that we would be filled with joy that we would be filled with thankfulness, and that we would be reminded of your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, that we would just be overwhelmed by the community of saints that you've placed us in. And so, God, I do pray that you would do a mighty work in us, and that, Lord, that from there we would be your light uh, in the world, that we would be your hands, that we would be your feet, that we would be your mouths, Lord, to share the good news and hope that we have found in Christ. May we ever be mindful of our neighbors. May we ever be mindful of our family and friends, Lord, who do not know Christ. They do not have the hope that we have. And God, may we be mindful not only to pray for them, but to actually talk to them about Jesus. Give us a holy boldness and a courage, Lord, we need as the world so desperately needs the hope that we ourselves have been given. God, I pray for our church. I pray, God, that you would sustain us. 
that you would help us, Lord, in all things to put you first and that you would be glorified, Lord, by all that's said and done. I do pray now, Lord, that you would fill my mouth with your words. Lord, that I would not say more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray these things believing you will do even beyond what we have asked for. You will do far richer things knowing our greatest need is you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. A little unknown fact about me and my family is that my dad was one of the builders for the Edmund Fitzgerald. How many of you knew that, right? Yeah, in fact, uh, as a kid, we used to tease my dad about that and say it was his fault that the ship sunk, right? Well, he made it very clear that that was not his fault because he worked on the electrical side of the ship. But just a little background about that Edmund Fitzgerald ship. It was built in 1958 at the Great Lakes Engineering Shipyard, which actually saddled uh, Rouge and Ecorse. Uh, the ship was launched on June 7, 1958. In fact, one of the funny things that occurred when they were about to launch the ship, as you know, they like to christen the ship with a, with a uh, champagne. It took three times for that champagne bottle to hit the ship before it actually broke. Now, we laugh about that, but you can imagine how that impacted the sailors, the uh, superstitious as they are. Uh, the ship was worth some $7 million at the time when it was built. Today, that would be about $50 million in standards of our money. The Edmund Fitzgerald was the largest carrier on the Great Lakes. Uh, it carried iron ore, uh, mostly, from uh, the mines near Duluth, Minnesota, to ironworks in Detroit, Toledo, and other Great Lake ports. It did this for some 17 years, but then on November 10th, uh, 1975, as it was heading its ultimate destination, Zug Island, it was captained by Ernest McSorley and under his command, the ship hit one of the worst storms in Lake Superior history. The winds were known to blow up to 96 miles an hour when it, when it struck. The waves reached 30 feet high. You could imagine the fear of the sailors as they experienced that wind and the waves. Eventually, we're told that the ship snapped in two, They've seen the remains of that ship. It sank nearly 500 feet to the bottom of Lake Superior, and all 29 men were lost. Now, as you hear that story, you can't help but feel for those families. You can't help but feel for that captain. You can't help but feel for all of those who were caught in that storm. But friends, the truth of the matter is we all face storms unexpectedly. And what I'm referring to are the storms of life. Just like on November 10th, 1975, when Captain McSorley and his crew, the Edmund Fitzgerald, were sailing into a storm that they didn't know was there. When they were caught off guard by those 96-mile-an-hour winds, those 30-foot-high waves... Our lives, too, are impacted by storms that we're not prepared for. And see, that's exactly the story of Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. It's the idea of being caught off guard by a storm. Look at verse 23. 
One day he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let's go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. That's a peaceful scene. And Jesus, as you know, uh, was working faithfully in proclaiming the gospel. Uh, Luke 8.1 declares that he was proclaiming the kingdom of God. We have been following this scene as his years of popularity were beginning to build and, and attention was given to Jesus. People were always around him. They wanted to be near him. They wanted to hear from him. And Jesus decides it would be fun, if you will, to get into the boat with his disciples. And as they cast off and go out, he's in good hands, for after all, he's surrounded by fishermen. And Jesus takes a nap. It says that Jesus fell asleep. Friends, I want you to think about that word, asleep, for a moment. That Jesus, in his humanity, 100% man, he was tired. In his humanity, he desired rest. Rest away from the masses of people who were calling him, reaching out to him, asking him to do ministry and miracles on their behalf. Jesus slept on that boat. He was tired. It's there in that sleeping that we're reminded as the readers of this text that Jesus was, in fact, 100% man. We celebrate it every Christmas as we celebrate the birth of the baby Jesus, that God became man. And as we study the life of Christ, we see that as he, as he grew, he grew in stature. He grew in wisdom. He grew in every way just like us. Jesus got hungry. And yes, Jesus got tired. Jesus is 100% man. And friends, that's good news because he understands our struggles. Uh, that's good news because he understands what exactly you are going through. See, other religions, they, they have a God, but they do not have the God-man. Uh, they do not have one who understands 100% what it is to be us. When you're tired from work and you're tired from serving, you're tired, you're just wiped out, he, Jesus understands. I saw a t-shirt recently. It says, uh, Jesus took naps, so naps are good. Go be like Jesus. <laughs> There's truth to that. There's absolute truth to that. Naps are good. Don't call me at 4 o'clock. taking a nap. I come back to work, don't worry. But I need that. I need that refreshing. We all do. And, and here we see Jesus in his humanity, and we're reminded that as a man, he understands our sorrow. Just like he understood the sorrow, the pain, the needs of those in that ship. And I believe that's why he told them, let's take the ship to the other side. Jesus set up a perfect opportunity so that they would understand that he understands them and that they need him. See, they would be reminded, not only is he 100% man, they were about to be shown he's also 100% God. And friends, that's good news. As they were in that boat and as Jesus was sleeping, we're told a windstorm came. And as the wind began to, to beat against the boat, the, the waves became more and more high. And so the boat began to fill with water and they were beginning to sink there in the lake. 
Friends, I've already stated it. Life is full of storms. Every time the phone rings, we never know what's on the other end. Life is constantly full of storms in our life, things we see on TV, things we experience with families, our experience with other people. Life is full of storms. At times, those storms can feel like they're overwhelming us and that we're sinking. Peter writes in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come. They come to test you. Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised. Storms are to be expected in life, difficulty, hardship. All of these things are to be expected because life is full of storms. And yet somehow life and storms seem to overtake us quickly, unexpectedly. That's exactly the way Matthew gives the account of this same story. In Matthew 8.24, it says this, Suddenly a great storm. Suddenly. It came out of nowhere. Those great sailors, they, they caught them unexpectedly. No matter how great of a maneuver we are in life, you know how personable we are, no matter how we function in our family as the leader or whatever, Storms come, unexpected storms come, difficulties come. Life is filled with them. And many of you could stand up here one after another giving testimony of those experiences. And your testimonies would be real and, and tearful. Your testimonies would move us as we would see, wow, I didn't realize that family was experiencing that stuff. And it would move us to pray, hopefully, one for another. It would move us to care more for each other. Friends, how many people we meet in the day and we don't understand that they're experiencing storms. Their boats are full and they're drowning. And yet we're in a rush. Hurry up, teller. Hurry up, McDonald's clerk. Hurry up. I have places to be and people to see. But oh, if we just cared about people, if we just understood the fact that we all are going through life and life is hard. Friends, let me encourage you in this moment as we talk about these storms. These storms create opportunities. Create opportunities for grace to be shown. Most importantly, by God, but also by us, the children of God. Storms in life are opportunities for the church to shine. As you flip on the TV, there are storms everywhere. As you watch the news, everything is on fire and everybody is panicking. This is the opportunity for the church to shine. Show our love for our neighbor. and Most importantly, our trust and love in God. See, friends, in humanity, we will all experience need. We will experience the need to rest. And we will experience a need for help. It's exactly what we see with the disciples. They cry out, help! Each and every one of us in this room will experience a need for rest. That's why they call it burnout. It doesn't just happen in the pastoral profession. It happens in every profession. People burn out because they keep giving and giving and giving. And we don't see that Jesus and his humanity rested. We should rest. We have missed the fact that one day in seven is given to us as a Sabbath to rest because God made us that way. 
We push ourselves to the utter limits, missing the point that rest is good. We also miss the reality that each and every one of us is needy. See, friends, understand this. There is only one necessary being, and that one necessary being is God and God alone. All of us, we're contingent beings. Our lives are contingent upon air, food, right, rest. If we're going to be healthy, if we're going to live, we're dependent, but not God. God is not dependent on anyone or anything, but we are. We need rest, and we all will find ourselves in a place of being in need. And those needs and that need for rest will give us opportunity to see the grace of God. As it shines through the life of others, and most importantly, as it comes down from heaven itself. The question for each of us is, do we understand our need? Do you? Do you really understand your need to rest? Do you really understand your need for help because the storms of life are coming? Or maybe you're already there and you're drowning. The Bible is very clear. Man is finite. From dust man was made. And to dust man shall return. Do we know who we are? Are we very aware when we look in the mirror that we are not God? For there is only one who is God, and we are not him. He is absolute. And we, we are contingent. We are dependent. We are finite. That's what this story teaches us. It teaches us that any moment we could find ourselves drowning in the storms of life, dependent and needy. So what do we do about it? when these circumstances and these opportunities arise? Well, there's two things you can do. You can either panic or you can turn to the power, the power of God. Ironically, it appears the disciples are turning to the power of God, but as is explained in the text, it's actually panic. Look at verse 24. They're saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Those are interesting words that Mark crafts there to capture the scene in the boat. Notice the word master. They recognize his power, his authority over them. He's their leader. He's their fearless leader. But notice they attach, we're perishing. We're perishing. We're dying. We're in trouble. And you can imagine probably what's not there. Something like, and there you are sleeping. Right? We're perishing. Master, we're perishing, and there you are sleeping. How often that finds its way into our words to God. God, do you not know what I'm facing? God, do you not know my trials? God, do you not know how I feel? God, where are you? How often that can be our verbiage. And I believe it's exactly what was kind of captured there for the disciples. See, the disciples were gripped not by faith, but by fear. We're perishing. They didn't wake him up and say, let's see what God can do now. No, they feared. How bad does it have to be for a bunch of fishermen on that sea to actually fear and panic that they're perishing? I think it's probably pretty close to the scene of what took place for the Edmund Fitzgerald's crew. 
the overwhelming waves and the strong gusts of wind. What we don't know about the Sea of Galilee is that it was actually subject to sudden storms. I've been there. I was there in that sea, and we took a boat across, and I was very aware, as they reminded us, storms could come very suddenly on this sea. As it's saturated, as it's situated 700 feet below sea level, and it's surrounded by large hills, which often create large gusts of cold air from those hills, and they come upon the sea to create these storms. So there in that midst of that storm on that sea, those sailors, those fishermen, they panicked. Unlike the psalmist in Psalm 18, verse 6, which says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. There was a sense of worship as the psalmist talks about. He cried out to the Lord, but it seemed there he was crying with confidence, where here in our story, they're crying in panic. Rather than faith, they have fear. How often this captures us. In our trials, in our sorrows, in our storms. Fear rather than faith. And yet what is on display is the power of Christ. The end of verse 24, it reads, He woke and he rebuked. He awoke and he rebuked. He rebuked the wind and the the raging waves, and they ceased. Jesus rebukes the wind, and the raging ceases. It stops. In Mark chapter 4, and as well as Matthew chapter 8, it says, and there was a great calm. Everything became still, perfectly still. Could you imagine how long it must have taken in our experience for the waves to stop and slow down, to finally stop beating the boat? In that moment, we're told that there was a great calm, a miraculous event. Jesus spoke, he rebuked the wind, and it stopped. And everything was perfectly calm. All because of the power of his voice. He who created creation through his voice calms creation by his voice. See, there we're shown that Jesus truly is 100% God. Listen to the psalmist write in Psalm 135, verse 6. He says, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deep, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from the storehouses. Only God could do what Jesus did. See, what's ironic is they were crying out, Master, little did they know that they were talking to the Master over all. And they thought just simply, Jesus is our leader. He's our teacher. He's our rabbi. Surely he can help us maybe sing a psalm, calm our spirits a little bit. Maybe he can come up with some nifty way to get us out of this fix. But they were introduced to the master over all. See, we see Jesus not only as their master, but now they see him and we see him as their savior. He meets their need at their weakest point. 
He's right there in their midst, and he provides salvation. Friends, that's the story of the cross. Right there in the midst of our deepest need. Your deepest need is not salvation from any problem we have other than the judgment of God because of sin. That's our deepest need. Our greatest concern is eternal damnation. And Jesus meets us there in the greatest concern. And if he meets us there in the greatest concern, surely he'll meet us in all of the other concerns. Surely we can trust him with everything else. For he is providing to our greatest need, our greatest sorrow, our greatest storm, the wrath of God. So friends, do you know the power of Christ? Personally, Salvifically, do you know that power? Have you tasted his power in the moment of your weakness? When you realize you cannot save yourself, have you experienced the power of Christ that he has saved me? That's salvation. That's power. And that's not panic. See, this deliverance from Jesus, this salvation brings with it a rebuke. The rebuke is this, where is your faith? And don't just read past that in verse 25, where is your faith? Friends, understand that that fear gripped them, not faith. And so Jesus is asking, where is your faith? That old preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said, faith is the refusal to panic. Faith is the refusal to panic. That I truly believe, I truly trust, that if he can save my soul, there is nothing I have to fear. Faith is the refusal to panic. Another one of Aaron's old dead guys, William Grunnell explains, faith is the conquering grace here on earth. Faith is the conquering grace here on earth. The shield of faith is the armor that was given to the children of God to protect them from the fiery arrows of the devil, to protect us from panicking so that we would trust. That's why John wrote in 1 John 5, 4, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Jesus is making it very clear. Where's your faith? Why are you panicked? Why are you not conquering? See, Jesus rebukes not only the wind, Jesus rebukes the disciples. How often Jesus must need to rebuke me. In my lack of faith, in my times of panic. Pastor Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, the waves did not wake Jesus, but the unbelief of his disciples sure did. Did you hear that? The waves did not wake Jesus, but the unbelief of his disciples sure did. You know why? Because the disciples missed the point that Jesus was there with them. 
They truly thought they were alone. They thought truly Jesus didn't know their problem or that Jesus didn't care about their situation. They missed the the truth that Jesus was there with them. How often we miss that church in the minute of our crisis that Jesus is with us. Whatever we face in the 21st century, Jesus is here. He's dwelling with his church through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's present. He says, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm with you. But their cry, the disciples' cry, was desperation. It wasn't trust. Their cry was, we're perishing, and you don't even care. We're perishing. Church, understand this. Their lack of faith was that they were not trusting who Jesus was or what Jesus had come to do. How often our lack of faith is that exact same thing. We're not trusting who Jesus is or what he's come to do. Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% man, and he's 100% God. He knows our fears. He knows our trials. He knows our temptations. He knows all of our struggles, and he is there in the boat with us. And yet equally, he is God who has power over everything. And he says to you, as he says and expects the disciples, trust me. Trust me. See, no matter the situation, we should always trust Christ. Jesus is here with us now. Jesus was in the boat with them. We are called to have faith, to trust Christ, even in the midst of the storm, not just in the deliverance from it. That's an important point because all through the Bible, we're told to be ready for the storm comes. Hardship comes. Take up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. Expect difficulty. Expect heartache. But Jesus says, I'm there. Jesus is there, and we should have faith even in the midst of the storm, not just from the deliverance of it. Church, how we should watch our own hearts. How easily we slip in to the panic of the disciples. How much we should watch and chastise our own hearts that we should have faith and not fear. So friend, I ask you, whatever you're facing right now, because truly only you know, you and God, are you trusting him? Are you trusting him with whatever trial is here and now that was unexpected in your life? Will you trust him tomorrow when that unexpected storm comes your way? If we have faith in Christ, who he is and what he's come to do, we surely should. Because he has said, I'm here with you. And anything you go through I go through. Ironically, when Jesus met Paul, who was formerly known as Saul on the road, notice what he said. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Jesus didn't separate himself from the persecuted church. Jesus identified himself with the persecuted church. And so therefore, we can have hope. We can have faith. Even in the midst of the storm. From that rebuke and from that experience of the storm comes a question. Look at the end of verse 25. They marveled, saying to one another, Who is this that even the winds and the water obey him? Friends, they had been afraid of the storm, but now they're afraid of the one in the boat. Mark 4, verses 41 says, They were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who is this? Fear captured them. Uh, we like to say they had a Jesus uh, coming to Jesus moment. <laughs> they, were, they were there in that boat, and they realized he was in the boat with them. And you know what they did? They kind of all moved away and went, who's that? They're asking the most important question, the central question of the whole gospel of Luke. Who is this? It's a question each and every one of us must ask. Who is this? Look what the psalmist says in 65, verse 7. Who stills the roaring of the sea and the roaring of the waves and the tumult of the people? Who? The answer, of course, is God. In Psalm 89, verse 9, the psalmist says, You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Only God can do that. Who's in the boat? God. Who's in our pain? God. He's there in the midst because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, God's own son, took on human flesh. He's there in our midst of our suffering, our pain, our trials, our storm. We're not alone. He went to battle against our greatest enemy and he won. Friends, what victory is ours? interesting to me is why did they go to Jesus in the first place anyway? If just now they're coming to terms with who he is, why did they go to him anyway? I began to look through all the commentaries to find the answer to that question. I couldn't find any that answered it. I began to think, why did they go to Jesus and wake him up anyway? If we're all going to die, just let him sleep through it. What kind of friends are you? think about that all the time when I fly. If I'm sleeping and it's going down, just let, it, let me sleep. What were they doing? The only answer I could come to was maybe that fear likes company, just like misery likes company. Nobody likes to be afraid alone, so we create panic. Isn't that what we're doing on Facebook? Let's create panic. Let's create mistrust. Let's create fear because then we're not alone and everybody's afraid. Fear loves company. Or maybe it was they hoped that he could do something, they just didn't know what. Like I said, maybe he would sing a psalm and we'd all be at peace and as the, as the boat went down like the Titanic and the, and the orchestra played, maybe that's what Jesus would do and, and we would all sing and, and it would just be calm. I like to think somewhere in there, 
They hoped that he might calm the storm. And I like to think that's why I cry out to him in the times of my storm. Because even in the moment of my panic, I truly believe. Even though it's small. Lord, I have faith. Give me more faith. Friend, maybe that's you this morning. In the midst of your storm, in the midst of your panic, you're saying, Lord, I have faith, but I need more faith. Friends, turn your eyes to Jesus. Look to the wonder of who he is, the perfect God-man who came to earth to deal with your greatest enemy. He surely will guide and protect you through all the trials of life. That's the beauty of the story. We're confronted with who Jesus is. So I ask you, church, who is Jesus to you? Is he just a good teacher? Or maybe a good model or leader? Or do you see him as he really is, God himself, the creator, the sustainer, and your redeemer? Are you trusting him and him alone? See, that's what Jesus desired. That's why he was in the boat. He was with us so he could save us. Our job is not to panic, but to turn to his power and faith, trusting and believing in who he is and why he's come. I'll admit, it's easy to have faith when all's going well. Well, guess what, church? It's not all going well. How will you respond? The storms of life will test our faith. We say that again. The storms of life will test our faith. But church, these storms create opportunities for our faith to grow and for God's power to be seen. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we walk away from this text, Lord, may the struggles we face not seem so lonely anymore. May we be encouraged to know that Jesus is with us in the boat, in the struggle, in the pain, in the suffering. And that's why he became man, to walk with us and to die for us, to give us the victory we could not get on our own. May we cling to him May we trust him, and may we find our assurance in him alone. We pray this in God's people said, amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.